God's grace, peace, and mercy be with you on this 14th Sunday after Pentecost through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Christians today won't agree with each other on what sin is and what it isn't, especially when it comes to certain human behaviors such as sex and what to do with one's own body, to name a few. But there is a sin in which few would argue God detests so much, He threatens to annihilate anyone who does it. Nice to be back from vacation. I'm well rested, no longer bleary-eyed from a jam-packed summer of church work. And I'm here to tell you that if you're preying on the weak members of this flock, if you're abusing any one of them, injuring them or oppressing them, you are in grave danger, my friends. God threatens to execute justice on those who prey on the weak. It's right here in Ezekiel 34, verse 16. You have it in your folder there. The fat and the strong I will destroy, says the Lord. It's got nothing to do with being overweight or all buffed up from working out at Planet Fitness. God's talking about the shepherds of his pasture watching over his flock of sheep. He doesn't like it when the people that he's entrusted on earth to watch over his sheep become strong and powerful for their own gain and take advantage of the ones that they're to look after. He doesn't like it. And every pastor has to take care not to fall into this trap, lest he be destroyed. But we're all priests in the kingdom, right? And we're to care for each other. So any one of us better not be oppressing the other or abusing the other or... Can we all sit back in relief then? Are we all thinking, I'm not oppressing anyone. I just come to church on Sunday, smile at a few people, and mind my own business. Well, look, I'm not here to create doubt where there shouldn't be any or isn't any. You know if you're abusing someone or not. You know if you're oppressing your brother or sister in Christ or not. You know if you're preying on the weak or not. And you've heard the judgment. Repent, therefore. Turn away from those sins and live. You know, it was uh, two months ago, but I can, still, I can still hear the stadium filled with cheering and singing from thousands of youth and their leaders at the gathering in Minneapolis. It's only recently I've had the time to reflect on it. More than the other gatherings I've been to, this one was real. It was honest about the messiness of life for young people and older ones too. But the gathering presenters didn't try to heap platitudes and easy solutions to the challenges our, challenges our youth in the church face today. The mess in this broken, sinful world and generation is real. Here at home base, I've been trying to apply this more myself. I'm up front with those who might be new to the church or wanted to be members of the church that while on the one hand church in America seems like a happy place 
where people are pleasant and smile at each other and shake hands and look like they've got it all together. While on the other hand, under the surface, under the decorum, there are all kinds of stuff going on with us. Guilt over things that last week or even the last century. Anxiety, doubt, anger, jealousy, addiction, you name it, we have it. And some problems are just too complex in this life and there's no easy solutions that we can apply ourselves. Sin is real. Brokenness is real. And as you can hear yourself to the prophets like Ezekiel, God's judgment over sin is real. But so is His restoration and His promises. He didn't try to prove to everyone that God is real. What they did was the same as what we proclaim in church every Sunday. The Creator has become part of His creation, Jesus Christ, and has redeemed us all and promises to restore everything. It's already begun. Earlier, I said, you know, few Christians would argue that God hates injustice against the weak and the oppressed. I mean, social justice is a popular issue today, isn't it? It's a popular topic, especially in churches and nonprofits and advocacy groups who are responding in various ways. The Christian church across the globe has always and will always advocate and intercede when possible for the oppressed and vulnerable. And that's because faith causes one to act. That's why we have hospitals today. All those centuries ago, Christians were the first to set up hospitals because their faith caused them to act out of mercy and compassion. And that's a good thing. It's just that when you read these Hebrew prophets like Ezekiel, God's concern doesn't seem to be all that global. It centered more on his people, Israel. In Ezekiel or Amos or Obadiah, Obadiah, any of those guys, you're not going to hear God telling the Assyrians to stop oppressing Israel. You're not going to hear God tell tell Babylon to stop preying on the Israelites. What you hear is God warning Israel to stop abusing Israel. Not only were the shepherds, you know, the, uh, the priests of Israel abusing the flock, the people were abusing each other, taking advantage of each other's weaknesses. God shows them the grave error of their ways in this picture of the watering hole that you heard. The watering hole in the center of the pasture. And you've all seen those nature and wild animal shows on TV. Remember, yeah, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom? I know I'm talking to the right generation here, right? Okay, we all watch that. At the 1045 service, when I mentioned that, I, there might be a few more people that be like, huh? What's that? Yeah, Marlon Perkins and his camera crew would grow, go out to, they'd come upon a watering hole and there'd be, there'd be animals around it taking a drink. And, but then some other animal or animals would come over for a drink and drive the rest away. You know, some animals dominate the pasture and the waterhole. 
And God uses this image, but adds that when the dominant sheep or animals approach the watering hole, they drink the pure water, but in their overbearingness, they step in too far with their feet and muddy up the water so that when the weaker ones return to take a drink, they have to drink the fouled water. The weak sheep thirst and have to drink, but they drink the polluted water. This happened in Israel, and it happened in the church when it happens in the church when overbearing shepherds run roughshod over their flock, thereby spoiling the teachings of the gospel and everything else you can imagine. And it's kind of humorous at the same time, dead serious, that God basically says here in these verses. Well, let me see if you can guess the cliche. We say it all the time, especially us parents, supervisors, managers, business owners, and the like. Can you think of it? Think of the verse today. Cliche, what God is saying. I'll help you. Because <laughs> stunned silence isn't going to get us anywhere. If you want a job done, you got to do it yourself. That's right. Not perfect. We don't always get it right. Or how about this one? This is kind of a newer take on it. You had one job. Yeah? That's what God is really saying here in these verses from Ezekiel. Israel, I gave you one job. Be a light to the nations, love each other, and show the world how to live and who I am. Israel failed. But the good news is, God did do something about it himself. Well, he did two things, actually. Because in restoring the world, God did many things over a long period of time. And one of the things he does here is he promises promises to send his own under-shepherd, David, who will be king of Israel and will restore some of her former glory. Not completely, but things will get better for a while before they go bad again. David, however, is just a precursor to the shepherd who will later come from Nazareth. In place of failing, unfaithful shepherds, God provides a final, unfailing shepherd from David's bloodline. The ultimate shepherd, Jesus Christ, who faithfully gives all generations his word of forgiveness and eternal life. He brings full and complete restoration to a world broken and weary with sin. How does he do this? By saying, I'll do the job right because you can't? Well, yeah. He fulfills this promise in Ezekiel and many others throughout the Old Testament. He has the power to destroy, create, and restore all things, and he will. His restoration has already begun in you and me, in our baptism. And he continually feeds us and strengthens us at the altar in this meal. And on the last day, he raises up from the grave and our bodies and minds will be completely restored. We will be who we are, but new. 
never to fail or die again. That's the restoration spoken of in the prophets. Though even they couldn't see as clearly as we can now that we have, since we have the risen Christ. So may you and I continually thank our precious Savior Jesus for taking our sin upon himself and restoring us. Amen.